This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Wednesday, the 24th day of February, 2021. Hi there, Mark Congleton here, your occasionally humble host for this daily dose of observation, insight, and absurdity. Well, almost daily. Yeah, I was out of pocket yesterday. And I apologize for not being here. Had something come up um, late enough Monday that it kind of threw me in a in a in a scheduling lurch. So I had a session come up for yesterday morning, an outside session, which required me to be someplace else early enough that it made it impossible to do this yesterday. And um, it was a uh, it turned into it turned into a a. a a most of the day situation where I, I went to the studio, engineered a recording, um, and then the files that I copied to a portable drive to bring back to my studio for the purpose of editing turned out to be corrupted, and I had to go, I had to go find another way to get my hands on those files again. It turned into a day. And actually, see, that got released. Yeah, but there were still other things that didn't get released related to it because I'm still waiting for that. To come to me some some more things parts of the other things that had to get published anyway here we are it is a wednesday edition of the podcast and uh it as always is good to have you along i appreciate you being there i'm glad you come along on a daily basis and uh i'm glad you share it with your friends and if you aren't doing so what why aren't you sharing it with your friends come on let's have a little fun here let's share it with your friends let's um Let's spread the love. Let's get some more people in the party. I mean, we got to do this, right? Come on. You know you want to. Yes, you do. It is. It's an interesting day in our nation. I mean, I'm skimming through social media while the pre-show music is running, and uh, I, I'm always doing that because I'm looking for whatever is the latest thing. You know, I, just social media news sites, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And... I come across this picture. I saw this picture yesterday. Actually, I saw I might have seen it the day before. But it's all of these people from Congress standing on the steps in their masks, wearing candles, and they're all commemorating the half million mark in COVID-19 deaths. Now, one, not only is this morbid, the photo itself looks extremely creepy in a in a very soviet way if i may say it is just it's very creepy and if you've seen the photo you might have just seen it and skimmed past it yeah well there they are photo op again but then you look at it you take a take a moment and look at it and see how it has been staged and see all of these people in masks with candles and dark clothing and the lighting is set just so it's it's a very carefully staged photograph it's a very carefully orchestrated event and the entire purpose of it is to keep you scared it is like something out of a horror movie, but it's real life, and the purpose of it is to keep you scared. 
I didn't intend to start with this. I, I intended to start with something that was absurd. And in its own right, this is absurd. It's absurd to the level that it is deeply offensive because this is politicians manipulating the emotions of the people to keep people emotionally involved in something so that they will not be intellectually involved in something because they know that if you can keep people emotional, they don't think, they feel. And if they're feeling, you can manage them. You can control them. And I know that sounds like, oh, that, there goes Mark, conspiracy theories again. No. No, when you look at the history of the world, and I don't mean a Mel Brooks movie, when you look at the history of the world, you see time and time again when political people want to control things, when they want more power and more control, they never appeal to the intellect. They always appeal to the emotion. They get people angry about some sort of an injustice. They get people frightened of some sort of, of, of phantom enemy or something which may harm them if they don't let these people have more power and control to keep them safe. It happens every time there is an effort to overtake the government of a country and make basic fundamental changes to it. I have to remember, and I have to remind you, that this is something that's been going on for a while. There has been a subset of our society here in the United States of America which has made it its mission to tear everything down and rebuild it again because they believe they have a better idea. Please, never, never forget. Never, ever forget this. That Barack Obama... In his during his campaign, speaking to a crowd of people, said the following words. Change will not come uh, if we wait for something. Well, let me let me let me uh, make sure that's all hooked up there. The he said he said that that we are the ones we're looking for. We are the ones we've been waiting for. In other words, the revolution can start now. Because the right people are in place. Here we go. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. And what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the time, the right opportunity, and the right group of people in the right places to begin disassembling the foundation of this country in order to build something else. Remember, we are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. That fundamental transformation was something that has been talked about and talked about and talked about in in leftist circles for a long time. They want this to be a planet under one rule of government, under one form of government. 
They want it to be one big happy planet. And in order for that to happen, the right people have to be in the right places. Hence, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. The right people in the right place at the right time. They seriously believed, they completely and totally sincerely believed that once Barack Obama was elected, that from that point forward they would have their people in place. It was their time. And that fundamental transformation could begin to take place. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. I know I have said this many times, and I know if you've listened for a while, you're going, yeah, yeah, you said this before. The point I'm trying to get through to you is that what's happening right now in America, what we're seeing happen today, what's happening with this $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, what's happening inside of the Democrats' HR1 bill, what's happening with elections across America, isn't just, well, it's, it's election time again. This kind of stuff happens. This is, this is stuff that's been planned. The, these events, these people, these ideas, these governmental pushes are things which have been sitting, waiting to be enacted until the right people were in place at the right time. And they believed that Barack Obama was the right person at the right time. Just like Joe Biden, Barack Obama was a puppet. It didn't matter who was in the White House as long as that person would do whatever they were told to do. Barack Obama is a man without a real history. Barack Obama is a man without the right experience. It's odd that they talk about experience when someone goes up against them who isn't from the inside track. But Barack Obama was somebody without that right experience. He was a newbie. He was a guy who was relatively new on the scene. And the reason he rose as quickly as he did was because he was the right guy at the right time. Remember, change will not come if we wait for some other person. He was the person. Or if we wait for some other time. That was the time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. The leftists were convinced that this was their time. They were convinced that they would run someone, the perfect candidate, a minority, who any argument against him with with any kind of substantive basis for being concerned, could be waved off as racism. He was the perfect candidate at the perfect time. It was a historic time. A black man becoming president of the United States. And under that, under that disguise, they ushered in the perfect puppet puppet who had handlers who managed him who kept him on script 
And if you don't think so, please go back and watch the videos of all of his appearances where he spoke in public for the entirety of his first term in office. Almost every one of them, he speaks with the aid of a teleprompter. Almost all of them. He's not speaking from personal passion or conviction. He's reading a script. When he wanders away, he stammers, he stumbles, he stutters. When he stays on script, it's almost always perfect. He was being managed. He was reelected for a second term. I believe there was vote manipulation for that second term election. I believe that's when they were, they were fairly convinced they could keep him in office, so they started the machine running. It worked. After that, the next person was supposed to be Hillary Rodham Clinton, another person who desperately wanted to be in the White House, desperately wanted that power and control, and was so desperate she would do anything she was told, including just being a figurehead and a puppet who reads scripts. But it didn't work because the people realized that she was so unlikable they didn't want her to be president and they were so cocky so sure so convinced that they were going to concede uh, could succeed that they didn't do some necessary things and it cost them the election that is why they fought for so hard so hard for four years to demonize donald trump to prevent him from being reelected. And when it didn't pan out, they executed the most massive vote fraud operation in the history of the world and put another puppet in office. Joseph Robinette Biden. And now, the senile Mr. Biden is in office reading his scripts from a teleprompter, not taking questions from reporters, and doing the bidding of the people who want to completely destroy the foundation of this country and make it a socialist state. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. Welcome back. Of course, if you're a podcast subscriber, you, you didn't go anywhere. You just heard the bumper music fade out, and it came back, and here we are again. But if you're on the live stream, hey, welcome back. Yeah, I know some of the stuff in the breaks repeats. It's just, hey, I don't know. I trust the automation to do its job, and some days it's taking a cigarette break. I don't know. Anyway, back to that photo, that publicity photo, that creepy dystopian, weird, semi-Game of Thrones, masses of people gathered sort of weird thing that, that they put out. It's all a fear thing. You keep people emotionally involved, they don't think. You keep them emotionally convinced that they're right, they don't engage in critical thinking. If they're not involved in critical thinking and engaged in critical thinking, they don't see the weak spots and realize what's wrong. 
And here's a weak spot. And before I give you these statistics, I want you to remember that they came from the CDC. CDC.gov. The survival rates for COVID-19. Are you ready? You might want to write these down. These are the CDC.gov survival rates for COVID-19 broken down by age group. Between 0 and 19 years of age. The survival rate for people who contract COVID-19 is 99.997%. 99.997%. 3/1000 of 1% those who catch COVID-19 under the age of 19 will die from it. If you're between the ages of 20 and 49, the survival rate is 99.98%. 99.98%. Between the ages of 50 and 69 years, the survival rate is 99.5%. 99.5% of the people between 50 and 69 years of age survive catching COVID-19. You may be thinking, well, it's, you know, it's those who are really older that they're, they're over 70. That's the, that's the age group that's in the most danger. We got to keep them under wraps, under, under lock and key behind doors with filters on everything. We've got to protect them. 70 plus the survival rate for contracting COVID-19 70 and above is 94.6%. 94.6% of those who contract COVID-19 over the age of 70 will survive. I didn't make this up out of thin air. This is not something that's from the interwebs. It's from the CDC. So all of this fear is just another way of keeping people frightened and under control. That's all it is. Here's another example. I posted it to social media this morning. If you don't follow, follow Dr. David Samadhi on Twitter, you should. He's a medical doctor. He knows what he's talking about. And he posted a link to a university study quoted by the BBC News. The BBC, yes. The caption on the photo says, University study finds COVID survives three days on fabric. Now, do you remember back when the two weeks to flatten the curve started, which we're celebrating a year of now? We've had it for a year. Two weeks has lasted a year. And when it happened, when they first said, I said, this is not going to stop. They're never going to let this go. When you give government this kind of power, control, and authority, they never let go of it. And it's been a year. That two weeks has lasted a year. And they are looking for ways for it to last from now on. They don't want to let go of this power and control. They're going to find ways. And the way to do it is to keep people frightened. University study finds COVID survives three days on fabric. 
the article actually says not COVID, not COVID-19, not what we are watching happen with that huge survival rate that I just told you about. Similar viruses to COVID can survive. And the study is not conclusive. It isn't conclusive. In fact, they say polyester. It clings, whatever, the, the, the similar viruses can survive on polyester. And this was directed at the healthcare industry, people who work in the healthcare field, about taking their scrubs home and wearing their, their work scrubs home. They could be taking the virus home to people. Well, if it were actually COVID-19 they were talking about, we'd have something to be concerned about. But this is just another scare tactic. The BBC News is no different than the American News in that it must find a reason on a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment basis to be relevant and demand the attention of viewers and listeners. And the most effective way to do that is to scare them. It happens in the news media all the time. They go for the sensational, not for the truth. And when the truth comes out that they didn't tell you everything that they should have told you, when that comes out, do they apologize? Do they correct themselves? Some do, but they bury it so far back in their publications you will never see it unless you read cover to cover, front to back, or scour their website pages page by page until you find something buried pages deep. It's all about frightening people. And that brings us to the first actual story I had lined up to talk about today. Everything up until now, this past 25 minutes, has been things that have just happened since the pre-roll music started for the podcast. Going over to to uh, IJR.com. Republican State Senator Amanda Chase of Virginia enjoys clapping back at haters who mock her for not wearing a mask because she has a medical condition. She's been forced to sit near the back of the room surrounded by a plexiglass barrier during sessions of the General Assembly. She's a vocal Second Amendment advocate. She stands against the, the powers that be in the, the current flow of opinion in Virginia. Well, she was ridiculed for not wearing a mask during the coronavirus pandemic, even though she has a doctor's note verifying that she has an underlying health condition, which makes it, it, makes it dangerous for her to wear such a mask. In August... The Virginia gubernatorial candidate joked about her special seating arrangement, calling the plexiglass box the square of freedom, the freedom to breathe. Fast forward six months. Liberals are still taunting her mask exemption, even though Virginia Executive Order 63 states that a person who has a medical condition limiting the use of face coverings should not wear a face covering. Chase has been repeatedly slammed by liberals, presumably because the same people who believe the Jussie Smollett hate crime hoax, that it was possible that 
two white pro-Trump guys confronted a black man at two o'clock in the morning when the <laughs> during <laughs> during a polar vortex event in Chicago when it was 15 degrees. <laughs> the folks who, be who believe that don't believe she has a legitimate health condition in spite of the fact that she has certification of such from a doctor. Last week, Jimmy Kimmel, remember him? The comic who actually did wear blackface. He skewered her on his ABC late night show, calling her dumb. He said, in Virginia, a state senator is getting a lot of attention for her strong opposition to masks. Amanda Chase, who bills herself as Trump in heels, is a Virginia state senator, also a front runner to be the Republican candidate for governor. She's dumb. She won't wear a mask. And since she won't wear a mask, they put her in a plexiglass box at the meetings. The box of shame. They're going to shame her and they're going to highlight the fact that she could be dangerous. She responded Sunday, told Kimmel she makes no apologies for standing for freedom. The rest of the country is pretty sick and tired of you Hollywood liberals peddling your depraved mentality and dumpster trash morals and values to our kids. Good for her. They can put her in the plexiglass box of shame. But she's doing the right thing by standing up. It's the Daily Perspective. Slipping into the second half of this midweek Wednesday edition of the podcast. I want to touch back on... Uh, the story I was just talking about. I was talking about um, Amanda Chase from Virginia. Even Jimmy Kimmel was ridiculing. Please remember, this is a woman who has a doctor's excuse, a doctor's note for not wearing a face covering because she has a pre-existing medical condition, which would uh, complicate things for her if she wore one. She unloaded on, uh, on Kimmel. Here's what she's, uh, she, she said, what I said before, let's see, uh, see, uh, she responded. She said, no apologies for standing for freedom. Um, she also said, Jimmy Kimmel, who wears no mask while mocking me for refusing to wear one and apparently has no live audience, can't handle strong, independent, conservative women who love God, country, family, and the Constitution. And then she just widened the, uh, <laughs> widened the stream on the fire hose and unloaded on clueless Hollywood celebrities saying the rest of the country is pretty sick and tired of you Hollywood liberals peddling your depraved mentality and dumpster trash morals and values to our kids. Many of us are moms uh, who are fed up with Hollywood's influence on our country, and we're not going to take it anymore. We're running for office, and we're inspiring and encouraging others to run for office as well. Don't mess with us moms. You will lose. I make no apologies for standing for freedom. And then she asked why pro-abortion celebrities are so enamored of forcing Americans to wear face burkas. She said, weren't the liberals just advocating for my body, my choice? Why does that not apply uh, to masking and vaccinations? Mock me all you want. I've raised four children who are all now successful young adults that actually work for a living and have more maturity and common sense than your liberal mind can comprehend. Maybe you should get off your stage and find out how the rest of the world lives. 
She then predicted that the next time I return to Richmond, it'll be as governor of Virginia. The real joke will be on you, joking Jimmy. So it's good to see that there are those who are maintaining a firm grip on reality and not backing down. They're not being politically correct. They're not being accepting and kind and forgiving and diplomatic. They're just being honest and telling the truth. And that's the last thing leftists want to hear is the truth, which is why they use the term your truth, my truth, or it was her truth or his truth. There is no my truth or your truth. There's the truth or your imagination. And that's it. And our government, the government in charge, Joe Biden and the everybody else, in charge, the leftists, the Democrat Party, are all using the fear of the coronavirus to control what they want to control in this country today. And when you look around the world, you'll see the same things going on everywhere. The same thing. They're using fear. Uh, as a sidebar note, it's the same thing with man-made climate change. The whole climate change movement, it's about fear. And they're coming from the same source. It's all about socialism, pushing socialism forward as an answer. You keep people scared. They want answers. They want solutions. You present something that you, you promise will fix the problem. The problem is that the promised solution has been tried again and again and again and has been a monumental failure every single time. Oh, but Mark, it's in the Nordic countries. Nope. Sorry. It's not working there either. It hasn't. It's been downgraded. It's been changed. Capitalism has been reintroduced. It failed. And now we have people in charge, leaders. <laughs> leaders. They're not leaders. These people are supposed to be representing us. They're supposed to be working for us. They're supposed to be serving us as, as a country. They're supposed to be representing our interests. And they are doing everything but that. They are telling us we're idiots and we need them. This is what I've said again and again and again. You remember back during uh, the Trump administration and throughout the campaign for this particular current administration, the left kept screaming about Trump putting kids in cages on the border. Yes, I'm changing subjects. Well, apparently, they're not cages anymore. Same situation, same scenario, but they're not going to call them cages anymore. Despite excoriating former President Donald Trump on the campaign trail over immigration policies affecting children separated from their families at the border, President Joe Biden appears to be adopting the same approach to the issue as Donald Trump. Let me remind you that the reason those children are separated is so that we can be sure they really are the children of the adults they accompany. Because we know from vast experience that children are used as pawns in the illegal Im immigration game. Sometimes children are rented. Sometimes children are sold. They are kidnapped and used by people to get across the border to gain more sympathy as a family unit.
This happens every day, and the people working on our borders see it happen. They know it happens, and so we have policy in place to separate these children so that we can verify that they really are the children of the people who claim to be their parents. And when that is satisfied, then they put back together again. According to the Washington Post, <laughs> a bulwark of honesty and truth in reporting, <laughs> the Biden administration has officially reopened a housing facility for migrant children along the U.S.-Mexico border in Carrizo Springs, Texas, capable of holding hun hundreds of children. Quote, dozens of migrant teens boarded vans Monday for the trip down a dusty road to a former man camp for oil field workers there. The first migrant child facility opened under the Biden administration. The emergency facility, a vestige of the Trump administration that was open for an only a month in the summer of 2019, is being reactivated to hold up to 700 children ages 13 to 17. The move has been in the works since earlier in the month, according to CNN, characterized by an administration spokesperson as a necessary evil as immigration officials grapple with an overflow of illegals crossing the border, taking place at the country's southern border. Fully remedying Trump's actions will take time and require a full government approach, a senior administration official said, urging patience. Hmm. So what they're saying is that, that Trump did so much damage and so much harm to these people that they have to do exactly the same thing. I am, well, yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess. Government officials similarly told the Washington Post that the camp is needed to temporarily house children amid the coronavirus pandemic and the current surge of border crossings. Never mind the fact that Biden's lax immigration policies instigated the border surge in the first place. And that's the point here, that Biden has telegraphed that he's basically going to let anybody come in who wants to, so they're flooding our direction again. They were scared to before. When they should have been, they should have been. But now, they're starting to come again. In both cases, Biden administration officials are attempting to put a nice spin on the move. But what's happening in this case is obvious, at least to Priscilla Alvarez, who is a CNN reporter. She acknowledged, while administration officials have condemned Trump's actions, they're still relying on them as they sort out the next steps. Despite the administration's best efforts to cast the move in a positive light, progressive immigration lawyers and advocates are also calling it out for what it is. Linda Brandmiller, a San Antonio-based immigration lawyer who represents unaccompanied minors, told the Washington Post, it's unnecessary, it's costly, and it goes absolutely against everything Biden promised he was going to do. It's a step backward, is what it is. It's a huge step backward. Rosie Abwabra, uh, a San Antonio immigration activist, said, when I read they were coming again, uh, opening again, I cried. I consoled myself with the fact that it was considered the Cadillac of migrant child centers, but I don't have any hope that Biden's going to make it better. Mark Weber, spokesman for the Department of Health and Human Services, the agency that handles migrant children, also made clear that the good care given to the children is, at such facilities has been consistent between administrations, though the Trump administration got a particularly bad rap from left-wing media. Yeah, they lied about what the Trump administration was doing for these kids. They lied about it because they wanted you to believe that horrible things were happening on the border. They lied. I, 
That fact is especially pertinent given the Post's coverage of the new development under Biden. In its report this week, the facility is described in delicate terms. A far cry from the kids in cages language used by the Post during Trump's presidency. Fox News recalled, hey, headlines from 2018 include the American tradition of caging children and the real reason we're locking children in cages. Oh, but they're not cages. Look, they, they're, they're, they're trailers. Yes, they're trailers with bars on the windows. Bars on the windows. That's, oh, that's very different. Yes, it is. The Biden administration will not admit that the Trump administration actually was doing the right thing because they must maintain the fiction that the Trump administration did everything wrong and they're fixing everything. Have you noticed that that's what's happening? Have you noticed that the same excuses being offered by the Obama administration? Yeah, well, the Bush years, the Bush administration messed all this stuff up so badly it's going to take us a long time to fix everything. Oh, this was Bush's fault. The economy was Bush's fault. Immigration was Bush's fault. Everything was Bush's fault. Well, they're doing exactly the same thing, but they're just demonizing Trump, saying that he did everything wrong and they've got to fix everything. It doesn't matter that what they're actually doing is what is actually necessary. They have to separate the children from the adults. They have to be sure they really are related. They have to go through certain processes which are which are uncomfortable. But the problem wouldn't exist if we had strict border rules, if we had strict enforcement of those border regulations, I should say. The problem wouldn't exist if the wall was being built and it was known everywhere that if you come into this country, you will be tossed right back out again if you aren't here legally, without exception. You see, when leftists go lax, they send a message. That message is, come on, nothing will happen to you for breaking our laws here. And that's exactly what the Biden administration is doing. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, that dang old internet, man, you just go on there and point and click, 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 click. It's real easy, man. Too easy sometimes. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. Moving into the final segment for this Wednesday, the 24th day of February 2021. You know, we're just a little over a week away from the uh, Daylight Savings Time clock change. Yep, not this weekend. I believe it's next weekend. So get ready. You're going to get that hour of sleep back. No, you're not. <laughs> you're going to lose that hour of sleep. I'm going to set those clocks forward. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Just giving you a, an advance heads up because it's coming. And they, everybody wants to get up in the pitch black of night. So this is a good thing, right? It's, you know what? This is another example of things that government does that never change that should change. 
because the times have changed, the way we do things have changed, the the need for having this has changed. And and I mean we're not talking I mean do you realize that farm machinery today is programmed by computers much of it is and it's online and it's GPS guided and that a farmer can go out in the darkness with a cup of coffee, a mug of coffee, sit down in his combine and hit the fields in the black in pitch black and do the same job because GPS is guiding what he does along the way. Now that may be a bit of an exaggeration, but it's not far from the truth. Among other things, that was one of the reasons for daylight saving time, but there's no need for it anymore. We should pick one and stick with it. But because it's a government regulation, the chances of it changing are slim to none. They don't go back and re and investigate what they've done in the past. I put this uh, in social media many times, but most of the problems, oh, okay, I can't say most, all of the problems, <laughs> almost all of the problems that we face today that the government is saying we need to fix these things, those problems were caused by prior efforts by the government to fix something else. So when they come to you and say, we need funding for this, or we need your vote to approve this, they're working on some, they're working on fixing a problem other, either they or previous politicians created in the name of solving a previous problem. Basically, we have a bunch of ignoramuses in Washington, D.C. They don't represent us. They represent their own interest in keeping a job. And right now, they are working on keeping you from being informed about how inept they actually are. Democrats are attempting to censor conservative media outlets in an affront to the First Amendment as they seek to chill free speech. And they're intimidating their distributors. So says Richard Kapler. He's the president of the Media Institute. This is a story coming from Newsmax.com. Kapler, who leads the nonprofit Journalism Research Foundation, wrote in a statement yesterday saying the letter from two members of the House Energy and Commerce Committee to several cable, satellite, and streaming services demanding that they explain their moral or ethical principles in deciding which channels to carry and that these content distributors explain why they plan to continue carrying certain news channels is an affront to the First Amendment. This can be seen as nothing other than an attempt by government officials to chill the speech of certain news outlets by intimidating their distributors. Kapler's statement was issued as a rebuke to Representative Anna Eshoo of California, a Democrat, and Democrat Jerry McNerney of California, who targeted conservative-leaning outlets, including Fox News, Newsmax, and OAN, uh, OANN, OAN News, in a letter to distributors, Comcast, AT&T, Spectrum, Dish, Verizon, Cox, and Altice. Kapler's statement continues, The spread of misinformation and disinformation in society is a legitimate concern, but this concern must be addressed in ways that do not run afoul of the First Amendment. It is not the place of legislators, either by virtue of the First Amendment or the Communications Act, to attempt to control the content of media outlets. 
Former Harvard law professor and civil, civil liberties expert Alan Dershowitz likened the House Democrats' efforts to McCarthyism in an appearance on Newsmax TV's American Agenda. He said, what they're doing is they're taking the playbook right out of Senator Joe McCarthy's in the 1950s. McCarthy and people from the House Un-American Activities Committee would write letters to TV networks saying exactly what this letter said. Why are you having so-and-so on the air? He was once a, he was once a communist. Why are you having so-and-so? He once re- represented a communist. He once went to a meeting. So they establish what was then called Red Channels, a book, a blacklist of any television stations that dared to have anybody from the left on the air. Lawyer, journalist, and free press advocate Glenn Greenwald, who famously published the Edward Snowden documents that exposed the U.S. International Surveillance Program, said House Democrats are assaulting core press freedoms. Greenwald wrote in a blog post Tuesday, not even two months into their reign as the majority party that controls the White House and both houses of Congress, key Democrats have made clear that one of their top priorities is censorship of divergent voices. Since when is it the role of the U.S. government to arbitrate and enforce precepts of journalistic integrity? Unless you believe in the right of the government to regulate and control what the press says, a power which the First Amendment explicitly prohibits, how can anyone be comfortable with members of Congress arrogating unto themselves the power to dictate what media outlets are permitted to report and control? how they discuss and analyze the news of the day. But what House Democrats are doing here is far more insidious than what is revealed by that creepy official announcement. Greenwald also assailed the left-wing media establishment for staying silent on freedom of the press after years of criticizing former Donald Trump, President Donald Trump for allegedly putting it at risk. He said, there's not a deep, uh, not a peep of protest from any liberal journalists. Do any of the people who spent four years pretending to care so deeply about the vital role of press freedom have anything to say about this full frontal attack by the majority party in Washington on news outlets opposed to their political agenda and ideology? Evidently not. There have been several other forceful denunciation of the Dems initiative. One critic is Republican FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr. He called it a blatant attempt at censorship urging fellow commissioners to join him in condemning the effort. TVTechnology.com quoted Carr, a critic of media efforts to quiet conservative thought, as saying that the Democrats are sending a message that is as clear as it is troubling. These regulated entities will pay a price if the targeted newsrooms don't conform to Democrats' preferred political narratives. In a statement, LibertarianReason.com reported, Fox News said that for individual members of Congress to highlight political speech they do not like and demand cable distributors engage in viewpoint discrimination sets a terrible precedent. Newsmax defended its election coverage as accurate and called the letter an attack on free speech. Congressional Republicans tell Newsmax that the letter's authors, Eshoo and McNerney, both represent Silicon Valley. They note the letter avoids any discussion of social media and the role companies like Facebook and Twitter have played in spreading disinformation. And that's an important observation. Because social media has spread a lot of disinformation. 
a lot. CNN, MSNBC, those two cable news outlets alone have spread an amazing amount of disinformation to the American public. And they have pointed their bony fingers of righteous indignation at anyone and everyone who dissents from their perspective. The article mentions McCarthyism. Alan Dershowitz likened the House Democrat effort to McCarthyism. I would say that if we'd actually listened to McCarthy, instead of condemning him back when he was trying to point out the dangers of communism, odds are we wouldn't be where we are today. McCarthy's been demonized over the, over the decades. Maybe his methodology wasn't good. Maybe, maybe there were issues. I don't know if there were or there weren't. What I do know is that communism is taking a foothold in America today. It's rising on the left side, as it always does. It's rising in left-wing news media as it always does. Hatred, discrimination, everything that is negative that everyone is pointing at and accusing the right of is actually rising from the left. And one of the, one of the signs of this rising is crushing all dissenting opinion. If someone tries to inform you that something that you've been told is wrong, they must be silenced. If they aren't silenced, then everything will fall apart. Meanwhile, CNN and MSNBC, The Washington Post, The New York Times, spread leftist lies as though they were truth, and condemn the truth as lies. Woe unto those who call evil good and good evil. And it happens with our country every day. Hey, that's it for today. God bless you. Have a good one. Hopefully we'll get back together again tomorrow morning for the next edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.